0: Let me pray for us. Father, um, we thank you that as we come to your word, we know that you speak to us by it. And Lord, we pray this afternoon that you would help us, help us to listen, to hear what you have to say. And Lord, please would we be encouraged and please would we be overjoyed by the good news of the Lord Jesus. Amen. When I was 18, I went to Cape Town to visit some friends that had gone from the church that I was uh, in in Great Britain to uh, plant a church over in Cape Town. And um, I stayed with them for five weeks. And they were just right at the beginning of planting this church. And so I spent lots of time meeting uh, the friends and family of this uh, church. I spent uh, lots of time up Table Mountain and in in the sea and doing all sorts of brilliant things with this church family. But for four days of my time in Cape Town, I spent sitting in a big park called Newlands. This is Newlands. Newlands is the home of uh, Western Force cricket. Um, England were touring South Africa uh, in the test match cricket. It was the third test, and uh, England had won one and drawn one, so we were one up. And so I spent the first three days uh, just somewhere about here in the cheapest seats in the whole place. It was brilliant because they were very cheap, but... You're just on the outfield, and there was no shade, so it was hot all day. I took a lot of snacks to enjoy, Uh, and I spent some time with the Barmy Army. I spent some time with some South African cricket fans. I spent some time watching. Um, In fact, I spent a lot of time watching. I was engrossed in every ball of the Test match. First three days, that's where I was. Now, on the third day, I came away... Um, from the test match, and it was still all to play for, and I got the train from Newlands out to the suburbs, and I quickly found out that the train was not the normal method of transport for a um, white traveller. I was uh, quite scared when someone got on the train straight after me and was watching me and following me. In fact, I made a phone call to my um, host's, and said please can you pick me up from this station and they were there waiting in the car and I bundled off the train and got into the car with them uh, and told the story of being followed and all of that and I, I sat home once I'd calmed down a little bit had that inevitable after three days of a big event like that I was so I'd enjoyed it so much I'd had a brilliant time but there was still two days to play and as good as the experience had been sat out in this grass mound, in the middle of brilliant climate, I just felt a bit disappointed. And at that point, they said, we've got a surprise for you. So um, the wife um, of the couple that I was staying with, her father was the Archbishop of Cape Town, or the, the Bishop of Cape Town, and he had been invited the next day, to uh, the Royal Box at Newlands. I didn't know anything about this until this moment. And he had said, uh, you know what, I can't make it, but I know someone who would love to come. And he asked if the invitation could be extended to me. And they were telling me the good news, that day four of the test was going to be enjoyed in the Royal Box. Now, there was a little bit of work to be done, because I'd packed for five days uh, in the sunshine, I, didn't have, I had one pair of long trousers. And the smartest thing I had was a really awful, looking back at, back at it, bright orange polo shirt. So I didn't get the train in. I got a lift in to the fourth day of the test. And I'm climbing the stairs to be checked into the Royal Box. And I'm suddenly very self-conscious. Because I'm in these chinos and orange, literally um, kind of beige chinos and bright orange um, polo shirt and I'm about to walk into one of the most posh places I've ever been to enjoy the test match I walk in couldn't quite believe that I'd got through and I look around and I could not believe it There's snacks on tap there was all the best drinks all ready to go there was an air conditioned room to enjoy there were screens up of every angle of the cricket and there was this big balcony that you could go out and enjoy and I was, I was like a kid in a sweet shop, all the biltong in the world. But quickly, through the day, it became pretty obvious that I really didn't fit. Because for the rest of the day, while these um, posh South African men in linen suits sat round tables in an air-conditioned room drinking their red bush tea, I was sat in the sun on the balcony, eating Biltong and drinking Coke. The only difference really was that my drinks were cold from the previous couple of days. See, really all that had happened was I was doing exactly the same as I'd done the couple of days before, but just in a very different place. See, I'd been bumbled in the back door into this new way of life but I was still the same guy. And really, part of me just wanted to go back to the first couple of days in the test where I could enjoy the grass slope with the balmy army and drinking warm Coke. I was a bit out of place. I was a bit uncomfortable. I didn't quite know how to enjoy that environment. I wasn't with anyone. I was all on my own. And there's a danger that we can think that that's what it's like to believe in Jesus. We're bumbled in the back door to new life but we're still the same person. There's a danger that our view of what Jesus has done for us leads to us only feeling a bit uncomfortable about our situation. Maybe even guilty that we've got to be here at all. Maybe we're actually pretty embarrassed or ashamed of what we are or have been like. Desperate not to compare ourselves with others in the room. Maybe even questioning if being with Jesus is really where we belong at all. Maybe as a Christian over the last few weeks, as we've looked at the book of Romans, you found yourself feeling a bit conflicted. Or maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but looking at the claims of what Jesus can do for you, you struggle to see what that would look like, feel like. See, as we spend some time over Easter looking at what new life means, this afternoon we'll see that new life means a new identity. That ultimately, when we believe in Jesus, we're united to Jesus. And so our identity is found completely in him. One writer writes this. We have a shallow view of union with Christ. That means we believe we are in Christ in as much as we are benefactors of his work. It serves as only the grounds for justification. This misses the multifaceted nature of union. Do you see what he's saying? Just like me at the cricket, the work was done to get me in, but I wasn't with anyone. I just did the same as I did before. That's how we're in danger of viewing the good news of Jesus. We have a right emphasis on justification because it's so clearly presented in the Bible. We've already seen that in the book of Romans. There's a problem No one will be presented right before God by the things that they do. And there's a solution. Every kind of flawed person can be presented right before God by having faith in Jesus' work, his sacrifice of substitutionary atonement. That is, he died in your place. That's what we call justification. That's what we've seen in Romans already. But there's a danger that if that becomes our sole lens, through which we grasp the gospel, it becomes quite clinical. There's a danger that it's not very relational. And so it can lead us to a bit of an identity crisis. Is this really me? A bit like me at Newlands Cricket Ground. I wonder if that's been your experience as a Christian at points I don't belong here I don't deserve to be here I can't live up to this I feel guilty still see our question is what is the fundamental identity of the Christian and so how does that shape our experience This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You see, there's a fundamental shift of identity for someone who trusts in Jesus. Their identity is now in Christ. Anyone who is trusting Jesus has a fundamental new identity, they're a new creation what's happened? they've been changed see, a Christian hasn't just been bundled in the back door Jesus hasn't just done us a favour and shared a spare ticket a fundamental shift has taken place, a Christian is now in Christ it's like a transfer the moment that sticks with me, visiting Albania, uh, visiting Will Niven, one of our now mission partners. Uh, we had been visiting a couple of summers in a row and uh, his youngest child's son uh, was quite into his football and it was one of the really chief ways we got some real good conversation going. His English was, uh, is very good now. It was kind of getting there at that point. And so each time, he uh, supported an Italian team at the, at the time. And so each time, I'd do a bit of revision, um, working out what was going on in the Italian transfer market, just knowing exactly how I could speak to him and what was going on. And I'll never forget this summer, we, um, after a long trip, and we had been in the minibus for a little while, and we pull up to outside their house, and the, the door slides open, and the family had just stood all together on the steps waiting for us. It was lovely. Um, but there was just this one... Samuel was wearing a Barcelona shirt. Oh, all the revision, all of the work to just have some good conversation, it all gone down the pan. And I walked towards him, went to shake his hand, and he said the words, I am in Barca now. And it just stuck with me because it was funny because us... No, you're not. <laughs> you're in FIA, Albania. And I spent all summer learning about Inter. <laughs> But he obviously wasn't in Barca. But what he was telling me was there'd been a fundamental shift. He was. He was all in Barcelona. He was. He was all in there now. There'd been a shift. His allegiance had changed. What he described was a fundamental change in his identity in terms of football and supporting. And look, a couple of verses later in 2 Corinthians, we see how this change of identity has taken place for the Christian. This is what verse 21 says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me just read that again. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the words there, in him? When we are in Jesus, it expresses instrumentality. So that Jesus is the instrument through whom believers, see it at the end of the verse, might become the righteousness of God. You see in that sentence, if we are in him, we become the righteousness of God. Imagine for a a moment, I'm sat at home um, with Jacob's new whiteboard. Jacob's got a whiteboard for his birthday, a lovely gift that we are writing on. Um, Jacob's learning his letters, and he's just found out that O and O go together to go oo, And so we're trying to be as creative as we can to make sentences uh, that are a bit memorable and funny to um, help learn the words with oo in it. So uh, if you've been to our house this week, I think it's, A dog did a poo on the moon. And Jacob obviously found that hilarious as he read it for the first time, because it's brilliant, isn't it? For the first time he can learn, he can read a joke for himself, and it's funny. Yeah, funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he imagine we're using the whiteboard pen, and I say to him, he says, who's written that? And I say, I've written it in pen. We say we write in pen, but I'm not in the pen, The words aren't in the pen. What's in the pen? The pen is the instrument. We say we write in pen, but the pen is the instrument by which the word has come to be. See, if our application of Jesus is overly instrumental, then the danger is that the chief end of being In Christ is just to be justified. Or, to put it another way, there's a danger that being in Jesus is simply the way we got there. There's a danger that being in Jesus is simply the way we got there. Just like the pen is the way the writing got onto the board. There's a danger that being in Jesus is simply the way we got in. But Jesus is way more than just the instrument of our justification. Jesus is way more than just the way we got here. And if we were to only think like that, it really restricts our understanding of the good news of Jesus. And it will really cause us to wobble when we look at ourselves, when we look at other people, when we experience life as a Christian. You see, what's interesting in 2 Corinthians 5 is that it first describes how a a believer has a fundamental new identity, that they're in Christ, that they're new. They've changed. And only then it goes on to describe the mechanism by which they've been changed. You see, the fundamental change that happens when you trust in Jesus is that you are new. Because we have new life. We have a new identity. We are in Christ. And so we belong with him. Here's how it's described as we read in Colossians 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And look, just have a look at those few sentences in, in the um, three tenses that we see at play, first, it's quite small, but in the past, see what's happening, what's, what's described as in the past, you died and you have been raised with Christ. That's in the past tense. That has happened. You are new. You are a new creation. You have been raised to new life. That is your fundamental new identity. If you believe in Jesus, that's who you are. That has happened. That cannot be undone. That is what you now are because it has taken place. It's in the past. See what that means now for our present if we trust in Jesus? And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Right now... Right now, your fundamental identity is hidden with Christ. Bit of a hard thing to read, hidden with Christ. What exactly does that mean? I think probably the best description of the original word is what a squirrel does in the winter. What does a squirrel do in the winter? They take all their stuff and they hide it. They store it all up in one place. They carefully get it all together. When a squirrel stores up their nuts, safe through the winter, it's safe, hidden away, stored in one place. Right now, if you trust in Jesus, that's your identity. Safe, stored up, hidden away in Jesus. And so what's the future? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Because of what Christ has done for you. That's where your identity is right now. And so you can have absolute confidence that when he returns, you will be found with him. Where you belong, where you are. You see what Paul's saying as he gives the instruction? Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul's saying, be who you now are. Just be you because you are with Christ. Paul acknowledges as he writes, there's still an active step to be taken, it's an instruction. To set your minds on things above. But you see there's a danger that we think that that step is all about our hard work. Our becoming like Jesus is about our hard work. There's a danger that we see our sanctification, our growth to become more like Jesus as something we've got to do. One writer writes this. At this point, in seeing not only justification, but also sanctification as a gift received in union with Christ, we are at the heart of the issue on an experiential level for the Christian. Because you haven't just been bundled in the back door and left to sort yourself out. No, you are with Jesus. There's no room to say, I should be like this as a Christian. You need to do that as a Christian. I must act. Like this, as a Christian, it goes out the window because the logic is flawed. You don't need to act to shape out an identity that is already yours, instead, you can say, As a Christian, I am in Christ, and this is what will happen for me. Because it, as a Christian, Someone who is in Christ, your identity is fixed and firm and secure and the resulting change will come. And so it will shape the way that you feel and think and live. There's nothing quite like the awkwardness of wedding invitations, is there? If you've you've got that wrong at any point, you'll know exactly what I mean. Um, But let me just explain, if you haven't, which I know many of you have in the room. Wedding invitations come in various different levels, tiers, gold, silver, bronze, or beginner, or whatever. Um, You might be invited to the wedding breakfast, or you might be invited to the whole day, or you might be invited to the church service, or you might be invited to the ceremony. There's all kinds of different language Generally, often, uh, we have some kind of ceremony, some kind of um, then more formal and more closed off, more intimate party, and then in the evening, something else. Now, inevitably, people get that wrong all the time. People rock up to the middle bit when they didn't get an invite. People lose their invitation. There's all kinds of ways that goes wrong. On our wedding day... It went wrong. Uh, we put on a coach for all the guests uh, to go from the uh, wedding ceremony to the wedding breakfast. That's the formal part in the middle that not everyone is invited to. Um, this coach was to take those that were invited uh, to the event, which was just out in the sticks, so a coach was a nice way to do it. Inevitably some people jump on the coach because lots of people were getting on a coach now at that point uh, two of the boys uh, that I played rugby with for the last three years uh, realised that they were on a coach going to a party that they didn't have an invitation to and they didn't quite know what to do because it was in the middle of nowhere They get off the coach and they uh, go into uh, a room that's full of champagne and all sorts of things. And of course, they didn't make a swift exit. So there was a bit of a conversation about what was going to go on and how it was going to get resolved and whether they're going to try and find a seat at the table or what was going to go on. Anyway, in the end, my best man had to do the deed and explain to these two gentlemen that they were going to have to be finding somewhere else in this tiny, tiny village for the next four hours to um, spend a bit of time before coming back for the evening. Um, they took it OK, but they come, they'd come back uh, after spending uh, numerous hours in one pub having a lot of drink. Um, look, you can just imagine the awkwardness, can't you, on the coach... As word goes round, oh, they got the right invitation. There'd have been people sat on that coach going, we haven't got our invitation. I can't remember what we I what said. Are we definitely invited? Are we definitely going? Are we, are we in the right place? Just like me climbing the stairs at Newlands Cricket Ground. Is it, is it really me? Am I really going to get through? the Bible describes how we all have an invitation to the best wedding banquet. And it's a bit like we're on our way there now and many of us will have accepted that invitation. But even as we go, there can be all kinds of mixed feelings. Is this really me? Am I, am I definitely going to be okay when I get there I feel like an imposter should I really be here and not others but look if you are trusting Jesus if you are in Christ you don't need to have any doubt if you've got the right invite You don't need to have any ounce of imposter syndrome. You don't need to feel guilty about whether you should be really invited. You don't need to be ashamed about the state that you turn up in. What you're dressed like. Whether you look the part. How you compare to other people. Because fundamentally, if you trust in Jesus, that is where you belong. You are in Christ. So as you travel on that coach, as you approach the best wedding banquet the universe has ever seen, you can know with absolute confidence as you walk into that party, you will be okay because you will be with Jesus. You can be absolutely sure because you are in him. That is what it means to be in Jesus. That is the concrete hope that we have this afternoon. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that when we come to trust in the Lord Jesus. We are completely new. Father thank you that that means. We belong with him. Father thank you that that means. We know where we're going. Father please would you help us. To remember that. And have absolute confidence. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Lance, I think. We're not going to share, are we? Thanks, Sai. Cy. Sai's um, prayed, but we're going to-